This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. It's time for football. Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. Hello and welcome to Just for Kicks with myself, Cam Ruslan, and our two pundits today. We've got two up front. Uh, Asran Rosen. Hi, guys. How's everyone doing? Uh, Better than me, I hope. Uh, yeah, you can tell from his voice he's already unhappy. He's, he's sad because of his Liverpool. And we have back after far too long, Nicholas Anil. Hi, Cam. It's good to be back, like you mentioned, after quite some time. Yeah, that is good to have you here. Um, so uh, we're going to be talking today. There's going to be quite a bit of FA Cup uh, fourth round r- review. And we'll do a little, uh, what's it called? League Cup. League Cup preview. I always forget that one. And and we're also going to take a check-in because we're halfway through the the season. Can you imagine? We're actually only halfway through. So we're gonna we're gonna sort of like get an overview, sense of where we are right now. But first of all, I think a big I was gonna say it's a big upset. I don't know if it is an upset. Brighton two, Liverpool one. Asran, you're a Liverpool fan. Explain yourself. Oh, goodness me, Cam. As you put it just now, it is only halfway through the season. But for a number of West Liverpool fans, it appears as if the season's over. But again, to put it into perspective, there's still a lot of matches to go and we've still got the two legs in the Champions League against Real Madrid coming up. So anything can happen. But the way the team is playing at this point of time, well, to be fair, yesterday's performance was much, much better than what we've seen in the last couple of matches. But still, the second half performance, Brighton thoroughly deserved to win. And what an excellent goal it was from the Japanese guy, Maitoma. It's, uh, again, I think, um, as you put it, it wasn't really such a shock. But still, what is shocking is how Liverpool is crumbling this at this point of the season. From nearly winning everything last season to where we are now, it's such a massive, massive fall from Greece. Nicholas, you can say the things that, that Azran cannot bring himself to say. Jurgen Klopp, I mean, your know, last season, he mentioned, last season was amazing. They played every single match possible. They must be exhausted. And uh, Des Korkiel keeps saying, this is a transition season. You know, we're just going to be going somewhere else. Jurgen Klopp is, he's fine, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think if you look at the context of this season, uh, yes, Liverpool have not performed, uh, you know, as well as previous seasons. But, um, Asran has a point in saying that uh, they have played a lot of matches. Uh, but I think for me, uh, the biggest uh, issue that is facing Liverpool is uh, the chemistry that the front three strikers uh, are sort of trying to uh, get with each other. Now, you have Darwin Nunes who has not really uh, you know, immersed himself in Liverpool colours just yet. So he's struggling for goals, you know, he's struggling for game time. Even Klopp, I think, has a, he's still finding the right position to play in because... Uh, he can play on uh, as, as a central striker, but he can also operate on the wings. Um, so this is perhaps um, one of the issues that, you know, uh, surrounds David Nunes. And bear in mind, David Nunes comes with a hefty price tag and Liverpool are expecting him to plunder the goals and that has not come yet. And then you have Cody Gakpo, uh, who is one of the hottest strikers in Europe during the World Cup season. You know, he had a lot of suitors. Uh, Leeds were one of them. I think even Manchester United were one of them. Uh, but he ended up going to Liverpool and he was expected to make an instant impact. To be fair to him, he's not been given enough game time. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, this was a sixth start yesterday. 
Um, and the goals have yet to come uh, in a flourish. And then you have Mo Salah, you know, who has struggled to repeat the forms that he has produced over the last few seasons. You know, he scored, I think, uh, 11 goals or something this season. But it's not as good, you know, if you compare him to his usual standards. So the front three, which, you know, uh, have been so good for Liverpool before, you know, Salah, you talk about Firmino, you talk about Mane, you know, uh, these three with the, with the force to be reckoned with. And now you've taken sort of two of them out of the equation and brought in these two new guys. Um, and they have struggled for goals. And this is where I think Liverpool have really struggled, you know. They've not scored enough and... Uh, so this is where that it's it's really hurting him, and and true enough, it was punished by a team uh, like Brighton. Brighton are a team that have been progressively improving, and you know, scoring one goal against a team like Brighton, who are really on song at this point, is not going to cut it. No. So, Asran, briefly then, um, if if all your hopes hinge on beating Real Madrid, then that's that's a pretty tough season uh what would you be satisfied would you what do you think liverpool fans would be satisfied with well uh, obviously we set ourselves really high standards good thing about it is real madrid isn't firing on all cylinders either so it's going to be a match between two teams that were performing really well last year uh and again as you mentioned just now cam it's still only halfway through the season but uh, if you don't mind t- touching a point on what uh, nick said it's true uh, i think it's obviously, even as you can see, Salah is impacted by the fact that the front three is not a settled front three yet. Uh, he scored only, what, seven Premier League goals as compared to 15 at this point of uh, last season. But the problem with Liverpool now is it's not just the fact that we're not scoring enough. It's the fact that we're conceding too many goals either. Uh, and oh, can you blame the defence? The thing is, we haven't had a settled team at this point of time. If you look at the midfielders, uh, the standard of the, the midfield three that we had last year of Thiago, um, Jordan Henderson, as well as Fabinho. Jordan Henderson and Fabinho, both of them look a really pale self of their former self. Eh? Uh, in fact, when Fabinho came on yesterday, he played, what, nine minutes? Already, he after 90 seconds, he had a yellow card, which could have been a red card. And he was culpable for a number of errors in the middle of the park. So Fabinho is really struggling to perform. Jordan Henderson looks very jaded and tired. And so I think it's the whole team that is really struggling at this point of time. Maybe the excerpts of last year uh, definitely has had its impact. But yeah, we hope that, and we thought that the break, during the World Cup break, the fact that a number of Liverpool players either were not playing in the World Cup or even in the squad. They were not first 11 for their respective countries. So we thought they would get at least a bit of a break in yeah. that sense of the word, but it hasn't so, seen so. I, I, I reckon then that, that the entire Liverpool squad are just sort of like going through their holiday brochures and trying to work out. You know, well, as long as you make up against Real Madrid, that's the most important point. So back to your question, winning the Champions League is definitely what we have to hope for. Uh, okay. It's going to be a tough ask, but yeah. Okay, fine. I mean, that's just that's just regular, isn't it? No big deal. <laughs> so, uh, and uh, Nicholas, then the big one. The uh, you're a Leeds United fan. It was Accrington Stanley nil, Leeds three. The gap between the two is I don't know because my computer cannot scroll down that far to find out where Accrington <laughs> Stanley stand. So Leeds are back, and I need to ask you the question. One, I mean, were you pleased with the with the the performance? But ask you, are you a Jesse Marsh? fan or are you of that Leeds camp it's like Jesse Marsh out now well um I I like what Jesse Marsh is doing with the team you know it obviously isn't wasn't easy uh to take over uh, Marcelo Bielsa and to take over the situation that Leeds were in uh last season you know they were struggling at the 
close to the bottom of the table, you know, uh, relegation was uh, almost a stark reality when Jesse March took over. And he only had a couple of games to actually turn it around. But credit to him, you know, he absolutely um, got the best out of his players at that point, uh, despite having limited time with them and somehow managed to salvage this uh, season uh, by staying in the league. Uh, that game against Brentford, I think, was one of the highlights uh, of the season, you know, having um, won that final game, that that win actually kept them up. Um, and everyone has expected him to continue uh, rebuilding the team, you know, because it's a totally different um, sort of uh, person that comes in and, you know, he brings about a different charisma and different personnel uh, with him as well. But I think uh, this season, it has not gone all to plan so far. I am happy with the brand of football because he still maintained that same attacking philosophy that Marcelo Bielsa uh, had introduced to Leeds. You know, so it's all out attack. You know, players moving up in numbers. Uh, even though he plays four at the back, you can see both the fullbacks are constantly pushing up and offering space uh, to receive the ball. But this season, I think for Leeds, uh, it has been all about draws. If you look at the league, we've drawn nine league matches, you know, and only won four so far. Out of 19 games this season, it's uh, not good enough. And as a result, they're currently languishing in 15th in the table. This FA Cup win was a much welcome uh, addition. You know, uh, it was a much welcome boost. But then again, uh, it wasn't a surprise as well, because if you look like if you look at Accrington Stanley, uh, they are languishing uh, bottom of League One, if I'm not mistaken. And so Leeds were expected to win this game. It was a good performance. I was glad to see Jack Harrison put in a solid shift. He's been a crucial player for us uh, and a big performance was needed from him. Uh, and I'm also very encouraged uh, that we are on the verge of uh, signing Weston McKenney. Now, he's uh, mm. another American that is going to come into the fold, you know, uh, of the United States uh, uh, national team. And, you know, not, uh, before he was playing his trade with UA, uh, but as a result of their whole uh, financial situation, um, he's got to leave. And I think his addition would really be a much welcome boost, especially in midfield, because Leeds have not found that gap left by Calvin, Hillip, uh, Calvin Phillips right up till now. And yeah. with Matthias Click leaving as well, you know, uh, that's a big uh, sore point in midfield. And with uh, McKenny coming in and a couple of other additions that we've got, um, I really expect Leeds to be putting the points up on board uh, after this. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. The win against Accrington Sandley was fantastic. And, you know, it's the first time in a long time, I think, uh, in 19 years, this is the only the third time that Leeds have gotten out of the fourth round. So uh, it was a great win and a great result. Well, I, I, when I was much, much younger, I remember, you know, Leeds being a regular in FA Cup finals and the like, but I was very young then. Um, cool. We're going to move on and talk about probably more Americans in uh, the world of football here on Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. More football when we come back. Just for Kicks, BFM 89.9. Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. And we're back on Just for Kicks with me, Nicholas and Asran. And now Asran, um, finally, finally, it happened. The top two teams in the league finally met in the FA Cup and it was Manchester City 1 Arsenal nil. I I mean I think they were kind of full strength ish teams on both sides but it really showed the squad depth of Man City I think. So what did we learn what did we learn about about these two clubs? 
So, yeah, as you put it, uh, Cam, it was the first meeting, surprisingly, between these two clubs, uh, top two top two in the Premier League at this point of time. We all know about Manchester City's depth in terms of their squad. But Arsenal, slowly but surely, they are also, I think, Mikel Arteta is also creating a squad of players that can compete at the highest level. So, when you put it, the teams that were put out uh, for the FA Cup fourth round, I think it was a mix. We saw Haaland playing, we saw um, Mares, Gundogan, De Bruyne. And on um, Arsenal's side, we saw the likes of Saka started, Nketia, Granit Xhaka, but, and as well as Thomas Partey. But also saw the likes of Philip Tosa, I believe in his first full start for Arsenal. So it's a bit of a mix eh, again. But having said that, if you look at the teams that were put on show, these are really top-caliber players, all international players. The game itself, though, was not as exciting as it could have been. In fact, I mean, I might be biased, but yesterday's Brighton against Liverpool was a proper cup cup, cup game. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, this, I think in terms of the game between City and Arsenal, it was between two teams that, because it's their first meeting uh, this season, it was a game that neither side wanted to lose. So it was a game of few chances. And finally, it was settled through a goal by an unlikely goal scorer in Nathan Ake. So it was a good shot. I think Julian Alvarez coming off winning the World Cup, he had a good shot coming off the post. Uh, Jack Grealish, who held the ball up, passed it over to Nathan Ake. I think uh, the whole Arsenal defence sort of a bit relaxed. They didn't think Nathan would have finished the finished the ball as how he did. And uh, yeah, it was 1-0 after that. I did. It wasn't. There weren't that many chances for neither side. So, uh, yeah, it's. I think probably a well-deserved win for City. But having said that, Arsenal has got more serious ambitions this year. I think probably Mikel Arteta's main target and main focus is to win the Premier League. And again, I I'll put my neck on the line. It's their titles to lose, if you ask me. Oh, okay. Hey, uh, Nicholas, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I, I've heard a strange argument, which um, I want to put, put to you, is that uh, Man, oh, Man City won this match, but that the addition of Haaland has actually made them worse, because at this point in the season last season, they had scored the same amount of goals, but they had conceded far fewer goals. Um, so really, he's sort of done nothing for them in terms of the attack, but has actually made them worse in terms of defence because, I don't know, he, he puts the emphasis at the top of the pitch, and etc. And I kind of felt like that when I was watching uh, Man City today, uh, the, the other day. For me, it's very difficult to see any fault with Haaland as of this point. Uh, to, to, to say that he's not covering enough, I thought he did a pretty decent job against Arsenal because uh, obviously he did not score, but he was coming down, uh, dropping deeper down to get the ball. And even when he was not getting the ball, he was using his six foot six frame, six foot six inch frame to shield the ball or to shield uh, opponents from getting to the ball. So I think when Haaland is not scoring goals, he is contributing to the team in this manner. You know, his movement of the ball is fantastic. How he comes down uh, to defend is also very commendable. You obviously can't expect him to be defend, uh, defending deep in his own half because his uh, main role is as a striker. And what he does when his team is, you know, sort of on the back foot is to operate on the shoulder of the last defender, you know, hoping for one counter attack and then to use his exceptional speed uh, and brute force to try and get a goal. So I think this season, Alan has just been absolutely magnificent. I mean, 31 goals in, uh, what, uh, 27 games. 
that's more more than a goal uh, each game and while his defensive duties are you know perhaps not as efficient i think that is a factor that will improve with time because guardiola uh, demands a lot from his players not just uh, in their primary role to also help out the team in other factors as well so what i saw from uh, haaland against arsenal was a player that was desperate to help the team uh, gain the momentum and gain the upper hand and as much as possible even when he did not have the ball and to me that is great thinking and uh, you know great contribution on his end okay one day i will have a tactical take that somebody will agree with uh, <laughs> if, if i can add on like um Haaland, he scored what 25 goals in the premier league he would have already won the golden boot in a lot of seasons well he scored double the amount of goals that wolves just scored he's got more goals than some teams have scored. Even Chelsea hasn't scored as many goals. So he's doing his job as goal scorer. Oh, all right. Okay, okay, okay. All right, all right. I get it. Haaland's really good. So uh, I want to move on to... I mean, the FA Cup fourth round had a lot of um, a lot of teams that we're not going to cover. But uh, so, you know, um, Grimsby town fans, go check out the internet. But I want to, I want to cover one which... Uh, Wrexham 3, Sheffield United 3. Now, this was a proper club t- uh, cup tie. And for a short while, it looked like non-league Wrexham were going to get through. And I want to ask you guys, what do you think about the Wrexham experiment? Two Hollywood stars, there's Ryan Reynolds and the guy from that TV show. And and unless it, it's discovered that Ryan Reynolds and his wife, Blake Lively, have a dogfighting ring, they he seems like one of the nicest guys around. And... They're doing a brilliant job in America uh, advertising this well little Bosch club, Wrexham, and uh, documentary series and everything. I mean, we talked about Newcastle being bought by the Saudis and stuff like that. I mean, this is this is good, isn't it? Uh, Nicholas, don't, don't you think? Yeah, I think this is a story uh, not just for, for football fans, but it's a feel-good story for sports fans in general. You know, two Hollywood stars, you know, deciding to buy a non-league uh, club and then purchasing them for $2 million. And somehow, almost overnight, they have raised the profile of Wrexham. So, Wrexham are now not only just a popular club in Wales and, uh, you know, in certain parts of England. They're hugely popular in the United States and also in Canada, where Ryan Reynolds is uh, is from. So, uh, I was reading a couple of articles that, uh, you know, actually documented uh, some of the um, travels of these American and Canadian fans to Wrexham, you know, just to... Uh, experience and enjoy the football uh, because of the work uh, that um, Ryan Reynolds and his uh, partner have done to raise the profile of the game. And the documentary, Welcome to Wrexham, I think is already out now. And that documentary has gone a long way to actually spread awareness about this club and, you know, how close-knit the, the, the whole team is and how uh, everyone is just, you know, trying to fight for each other and trying to get Wrexham into the National Football League. And yesterday's uh, draw, I-, I felt they should have they should have uh, gotten over the line against Sheffield United. But what an advert for, you know, the FA Cup and also Wrexham Football Club. Because this match was uh, live tele-wise throughout England and I think certain uh, parts of uh, the big countries like the United States as well, if I'm not mistaken. So it got lots of views it's gained even more traction to its club profile and you know you have an owner like ryan reynolds you know who i think is a hands-on um owner you know he, he takes a lot of interest in the club's day-to-day running 
Um, when the club signs a new player or a player gets injured, he personally gives them a call, gets in touch with them. You know, he was at the he was at the match against Sheffield United. You know, he took the time to acknowledge the fans, uh, took pictures with the fans, the kids, and then even went and acknowledged the team after the game. And then he tweeted that you know, uh, this is this is Wrexham. Impossible is nothing for us. So all these good vibes that has been sent out, I think, is really going to make uh, Wrexham a club that would be, you know, the perfect underdog club uh, for, for for fans, football fans. Yeah. Maybe if I get that out in an era where people are really, really sceptical about foreign owners, he's proving to be a very good owner. And I think what I really like about the fact that he's bought this club, it shows how intrinsically linked some of these clubs are towards their communities. And again, it's amazing that we can see it on TV. It really makes up for really good TV, if I can put it in one line. Good TV and the game yesterday... What a cracker. That is one of those games that, you know, what the cup is all about. 3-3, last minute equaliser. They could have won, but yet we get another episode of um, Welcome to Wrexham away at Sheffield United this time around. Yeah. yeah. I mean, obviously, um, just for kicks, we got the kind of resources here where we were going to go in to buy a club. So it, it, it was either Manchester United or non-league. Uh, <laughs> so we'll have a look at, I don't know... Uh, uh, Accrington Stanley are in the league, are they? So not them. Um, to you, Asran, um, Preston North End versus Spurs. Preston North End, once upon a time, about 100 years ago, one of the most successful clubs. And in fact, Tottenham Hotspurs apparently took their colours from Preston North End. I did not know that. And uh, uh, Spurs are usually very bad. And I have to remind myself that Spurs are currently fifth in the league, which is not bad. But they're like the, they're like the worst good team I've ever seen, and but they they did they were kind of convincing ish kind of later on by the end. Yeah, I think they were convincing enough. Uh, you're right, um, Cam. Uh, Tottenham did basics its colours from uh, Preston North End. Preston North End, obviously, it's one of the older, bigger club in England. Um, but yeah, Spurs. Imagine that they were wearing white, a red once upon a time before they moved into they changed into white strips. So back to the game, um, it was, again, Preston also is a team that isn't really setting the world alive in the championship. Uh, so it was it was expected for Spurs to go in. Uh, I think they managed to, uh, similarly, similar to other uh, Premier League clubs, we got to see the likes of some new players coming in. Uh, for example, Dan Juma, who was at the very last minute hijacked he was apparently assigned uh, for Everton. There was a bit of a media clip that was prepared already, but as soon as he heard, thought as soon as he heard Tottenham wanted him, he decided against sending his papers in <laughs> and decided to join Spurs instead. And true enough, yes, he played at Deepdale and scored uh, the third goal. But the first two goals from Son, uh, mm-hmm. and Son, what an amazing player! We talk about. The, the, I really like the fact that a number of these Asian players are really proving themselves at the highest level. We spoke about Mitoma of uh, Brighton earlier, and Son is one of those, I suppose, pioneers of Asian players making it as making that really step up to the Grade A sort of leagues. So they played well, uh, scored three goals away. Uh, luckily enough, we didn't see any sort of um, blow up from Antonio Conte, <laughs> or else we would have seen if any sort of surprise or shock happened uh, at Deep Deal. But again, well deserved. Spurs are through. Really, the the FA Cup is probably something that they should really concentrate on to finally put some silverware in the cabinet. Yeah, yeah. I, I, and Spurs were, again, going back to my youth, my childhood, Spurs were perennial FA Cup. They were real a cup team. 
that was what they did. But um, I'm going to hold you off for a moment, uh, Nicholas, and I'll bring you back in when we talk about Manchester United here on Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. More football when we come back. Just for Kicks, BFM 89.9. Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. And we're back on Just for Kicks with myself, Cam Rustland, Asran Rosane, and now Nicholas Anil. And, uh, I, you know, you're a fan of Leeds and Asran's a fan of Liverpool, but the biggest fan base in this country is remains Manchester United. And they've been a very unhappy bunch for the last, what, I don't know, when did Alex Ferguson leave? Like 50 years ago? Um <laughs> But I think that their smiles are coming back. They uh, beat Reading very convincingly, and he did not score this on this occasion, but uh, Marcus Rashford is probably better than he's ever been, I think. Something good is happening at Manchester United, Nicholas. And Casemiro, who I think, along with Luke Shaw, is really pushing the weight scales. Um, he's very good, though. So something, tell me, why are they good? I think uh, Casemiro's... Uh... Uh, shine in Manchester United in, in such a short time um, was something that was perhaps expected, but to me, it's 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 a surprise to see how he's not only assimilated uh, so well into this United team, but um, has been performing, you know, um, his, his socks off. Uh, you just look at the two goals that he scored against um, Reading. The first goal was an absolute striker's finish. Now, uh, the likes of uh, Marcus Rashford uh, and, and Anthony Martial would be proud of that, you know, just holding off the defender, picking his spot, and then, you know, blasting it into the corner. And the second goal was also a thing of beauty, you know. First time, stroked it right to the bottom corner from 35 yards out. That is pure quality. And I think that uh, Casimiro's addition, uh, when United were going for him, uh, at that time, they were having lots of struggles. You know, they were not consistent. That whole Ronaldo issue, should he play, should he not play? Uh, you know, that sort of took over the club. And when Casimiro uh, was about to sign for United, uh, I was reading a lot of uh, fans' comment saying, is he the is he the player that we need? No doubt, you know, he comes with class. He comes with a lot of experience, you know, a Champions League winner with Real Madrid. But can one person change the direction or change the fortunes of this club? And credit to him, you know, he's been pulling in a shift that has justified his price tag uh, right up till now. Uh, so I think he's been an absolute character for United, not just in his performance, but I see how he wears his heart on his sleeve. Uh, when United beat City not too long ago, um, we, I saw a video, you know, from a, a fan's point of view, all the players rush towards the fans to celebrate. And Casimiro just comes and he keeps shouting, you know, full of emotions and expressions. And there was two kids in front of him and he sort of give them a bear hug like he was their dad or something. So to me, that that spoke real volumes of the type of commitment, uh, you know, and, and um, quality that he brings, passion that he brings to this club. So I think he's been one of the standout. And I see United performing a little bit more freely now, you know, they seem a little bit more relaxed. They seem very confident on the ball, especially when they go forward. That whole Ronaldo saga is behind them. So all the other players get to perform uh, to their true abilities. And it is really showing uh, on the pitch. Minus that uh, setback against Arsenal last week, I think United are, you know, really good. And they are, they look good to push for, for perhaps not the title, but they look good for a top three finish as of now. Yeah, because we have to remind ourselves that they are the only team left that's in four competitions. Um, so, Asran, um, I want to ask about Veghorst, the Dutch forward who they managed to get on loan from uh, the Dutch, uh, sorry, from um, 
Turkish club. Besiktas. He's actually owned by Burnley, but he was on loan to Besiktas. Okay, these are not these are not like the great clubs that people normally associate with Manchester United, and it, it seems a bit sort of like last minute purchase. But I, I is he just holding a place uh, where Harry Kane can fit in for next season? Do you think? Again, I, personally, I think just now Nicholas touched on how Casemiro has made an impact, but obviously the man driving all these changes is. Definitely the manager, Eric Ten Hag. And then we spoke about how excellent he's been in terms of his man management skills, managing the whole Ronaldo saga. Because we knew United struggles last year, if we could put it into three sort of points. Number one is the issue of Cristiano Ronaldo. How do you play a club legend that is really no longer the player he was? Number two is the midfield had issues. I mean, Fred is probably the most un-Brazilian <laughs> Brazilian midfielder that you have. And we had Scott McTominay, right? So a local, well, uh, a lad that came through the youth ranks. And last but not least, Harry Maguire, someone who they invested a lot of money in to sort of be the focal point of their defense. So these were the three key issues. How he's managed to sort of solve the Ronaldo issue, somehow ensuring Maguire is still part of the team and still motivated enough to play in the sort of matches and yet not be a first first team player and getting uh, a midfielder that's good enough to sort of carry the load of midfield in Casemiro, he's, he's managed to get the right things right for Manchester United. So for me, even the signing of Wickhorst, as weird as it may be, because Wickhorst, we knew even at Burnley last year, he had sparks of brilliance, but he couldn't really, he couldn't, he couldn't save Burnley from relegation, right? And then he went on loan to Besiktas. We didn't hear much of him until the World Cup where he did score those goals against Argentina that sort of cheesed off Lionel Messi with that whole uh, clip that we all see. <laughs> Kemira Bobo, right? So is he going to be a long-term signing for United? Is he going to be the focal point in United's attack? No. It's just he plays a focal point in what Eric Ten Hag needs at this point of time, a striker that can hold the ball and can pop up with a few crucial goals. Because at this point of time, what he does is he links up the play and... Marcus Rashford, as you mentioned just now, is a man on fire as any in world football right now. He scored a goal, in fact, against Reading, but it was chopped off for offside in the build-up. Yeah, that means and he didn't score a goal. I he didn't. Okay, fair, to the likes of Des he scored, but it was just loud. <laughs> Not a goal. But that would have made a record, right? Consecutive goals scored, but again, nevertheless, it he didn't scored. happen. It didn't happen. Okay, <laughs> right. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm happy he didn't score, but. At this point of time, Eric Ten Hag has gotten all his decisions right. They look as a team that's going to, at this point of time, be a slot in the Champions League for next year. Looks for it's it's theirs to lose, really. And um, yeah, for the other teams, including myself, it's a matter of how do we get to this sort of level of form and consistency that United has shown, especially ever since the uh, after the World Cup is finished. So yeah, good times for United. Yeah, not well, good that- for. The rest of us. <laughs> yeah, but that's, I mean, to be fair though, that's the first time anybody's said that about Manchester United, you know, being jealous of Manchester United for a very long time. For a long time, exactly. So they deserve a bit of happiness. Let's look forward and back uh, now. Uh, so, yeah, sorry, fans of uh, Ipswich Town and uh, Burnley, etc., you know, check the uh, the internet for where the, your people uh, finished. And um, so let's move forward and back to the League Cup. They've played the first leg of the semi-final, and now they're preparing for the second leg, one of which is 
I mean, it's game over. But the first one, which is the uh, Newcastle versus Southampton, Newcastle lead with one goal. Nicholas, um, do you think Southampton have got it in them to overturn this because Newcastle United, the city of Newcastle, Eddie Howe, everybody will want this one. Yeah. In your notes, Cam, you said that they should do away with the Carabao Cup because of this. We'll get on to that, yeah. But, <laughs> but, but uh, if you ask the Newcastle fans, you know, they're going to they're gonna oppose you wholeheartedly. This is the sort of trophy that a huge club with uh, like Newcastle, which is huge tradition um, and, 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 and background and, and the spirit of, of, of football uh, that, that it has within the community uh, has been lacking. And for Newcastle to be on the cusp of a League Cup final will be tremendous, not just for the fans, but also for these new owners. You know, there's been a lot of talk about uh, the Saudi takeover, you know, and how, you know, uh, this not so clean uh, Saudi money has has sort of elevated uh, Newcastle uh, to an overnight success. But I, I don't think that's the case at all. You know, a lot of it has got to do with his, uh, with, with their manager, Eddie Howe. You know, who built a name for himself in Bournemouth, and then uh, I think he was without a job for a while. But Newcastle seems to be the perfect fit for him. You know, he's bought the right players and got everyone to play in that system. You know, that that he has built. You look at Kieran Trippier, who has come in and you know has been made captain. He's been fantastic. Fabian Shah, you know, who was uh, a shadow of himself a couple of months back, has now been one of the standout players. And you look at. Um, Peruvian player who's also been so magnificent. His name doesn't come to me right now, but he's uh, been pa- Paraguayan. Yes, the Paraguayan. Yes, uh, Almiron. Miguel Almiron. 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 Yeah, exactly. Almiron has been playing the season of his life, you know. And then you have all this. They've also built their their striker, uh, striking uh, lineup uh, in a very formidable way. You have uh, Callum Wilson and Alexander Isak, who's also been plundering the goals, and it's really been the work that Eddie Howe has put into this team, you know. They're not only flying high in the uh, uh, league where they are third at this point, but now they are in the uh, League Cup uh, semi-finals with a slim lead. And I think they're definitely going to blow away the Southampton who have not done well at all. For me, sacking Ralph Hassan Hotel perhaps was not the wisest decision because they brought in uh, Nathan Jones who was not come with a high pedigree of reputation and you know, to be fair to him, his players have also not been really the greatest. Um, and I think Newcastle are simply going to blow them uh, away. And Newcastle are also now, you know, they're boosted with the signing of Anthony Gordon, who's come from uh, Everton for, I think, a, a record signing fee. So he's going to provide a real uh, quality in, in that midfield area as well. I mean, you have Bruno Guimaraes and uh, Miguel Almiron um, and St. Alan Maximan. It's just too much of quality for uh, Southampton to contend with. And um, it'll be a surprise to see, not see Newcastle in the League Cup final. But it's bit, yeah, okay. Then, Asran, I am not a fan of the League Cup. And I think this next match explains exactly why. We don't need two-legged semi-final because Manchester United go up against Nottingham Forest already with a three-goal lead. There is no way on, I mean, I mean, I guess it could happen, 4-0 to Nottingham Forest. But the lead, there's too much football. And I'm scared every time when I see like the League Cup, I get scared about injuries to players. It favours the clubs that have the squad depth. It's not a level playing field. It makes it less level. So 
you're, you've got Liverpool all over the, your screen right now. And I know you're going to say, oh, no, the League Cup's the best. But say why. Nah, I think the League Cup's purpose, especially for the Premier League teams, the bigger ones, is uh, a, a place where we allow all the players who are developing all the youngsters to be able to challenge at the top level. And as Nick put it, for some teams who hasn't won silverware, there's a perfect opportunity to win something. The likes of Spurs, the likes of um, Newcastle, who hasn't won in a while, they should focus in this sort of competition. So I still, again, I do agree with you, uh, Cam, that there's uh, too much football. Perhaps there's too much football happening at this point of time. But I, I do like uh, the League Cup, really, because especially I do like the fact that it allows as to unearth some young talents coming up through the ranks. That's where we saw the likes of Anthony Elanga and whatnot from United at least, right? And uh, yeah, and that's why, again, for me, we should continue the League Cup. Uh, but the problem of too much football needs, still needs to be solved, without a doubt. Yeah, by getting rid of the League Cup. Uh, I mean, everything, all the arguments you made are the uh, reasons, are good arguments to say why there should be yet another cup and then another cup after that. So, uh, you know, and, and, and England's one of the few countries that has a League Cup, by the way. I think England, Scotland, uh, that's about it. So anyway, we're going to move on. And in a moment, we're going to have a, a look back and a look forward at the Premier League at its halfway mark here on Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. More football when we come back. Just for Kicks, BFM 89.9. Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. And we're back in part four of Just for Kicks with me, Asran and Nicholas. And now, Nicholas, um, Let's look, let's, we're at the halfway point of the season. Amazingly, I can't get over it myself. We've had a World Cup. We've had enough uh, Premier League to fill an entire season already. And yet it's only halfway, not yeah. even quite. Some teams, I think, are still on 19 matches. Yeah. And, and so I thought it'd be a good chance to take a look um, at what we've learned so far and what we could be looking forward to in the future. But let's start, first of all, with... Um, a, qu a quick look at the the transfer market. It's going to close. The window is going to close pretty soon. So, um, is there anything there that has happened or that we that might happen that that you can think of? Yeah, I think uh, there's going to be two potential huge transfers revolving around Arsenal and uh, Chelsea. Arsenal are moving in for Moses Saicedo, uh, the Colombian winger who has unofficially asked for a transfer request from Brighton. In fact, he didn't play against Liverpool because of all these issues surrounding uh, his move. And so if Arsenal do get in, it's going to be a huge coup because uh, he's such an exciting uh, winger. You know, he's pacey, he's a massive uh, dribbler, uh, he's got speed and he will provide a real quality on the, on the, on the wings, you know, either left or right. Uh, for Arsenal. So that's the big, big uh, move that Arsenal are gunning for, Moses Saicedo. I think he was also subject uh, of interest to Chelsea, but uh, Arsenal seemed to be the front runner for now. So uh, if he does come to Arsenal, he will also, I think, not he won't come at a small fee because uh, Arsenal have uh, put out a £60 million pound, uh, 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 fee for him uh, that was waved away uh, by Brighton and I think they're going to come back with a uh, slightly better fee perhaps within the region of 70 to 80 million and as for Chelsea their latest uh, target is Enzo Fernandez, that World Cup uh, winning midfielder for Argentina now Enzo has been a bright spot for Benfica uh, and he's been uh, subject to a lot of interest from a lot of the top clubs in Europe but uh, Chelsea seem to be the front runner now. 
I'm not sure if uh, Enzo would really make an impact or if he's even needed in Chelsea, just looking at the amount of depth that, uh, of talent that they have in the middle of the park. But, you know, uh, no harm done if they were to get uh, uh, a World Cup winning playmaker who's in the form of his life in Enzo Fernandez. So uh, these are the two big transfers that could happen within the next two days revolving around uh, these two London clubs. Man. Yeah. Chelsea has really spent a lot, no, Cam? I think they've mm. been the big spenders in this January transfer window. Yeah. Let's uh, not forget they've signed this unknown Ukrainian called uh, Mikhail Mudrik, but he appears to be a solid sort of place. Quick, but he's untested. I mean, he's only played in the Ukrainian league, but he cost them, what, 60 million, 60 million pounds or something? Yeah. They've also signed a couple of people from the French league, Benoit Badeshile from Monaco, and then they've signed what, Noni, Madueke, quite a number of really not huge big name players but I think these are players who have the potential to set the Premier League alight I think what Chelsea has done is they've realised they're in a bit of a tough spot at this point of time they're trying to buy their way into the Champions League spots for next year <laughs> that's what they're trying to do I think yeah okay well then let's look at some of the uh, the winners and losers so far of the the, the, the Premier League campaign um, and I'm going to I'm going to posit that uh, you mentioned Chelsea Azran Chelsea have been a loser. Chelsea are, they're in 10th. Uh, they're having to spend a lot of money and they've spent a lot of money and it hasn't necessarily been good money. So Something is rotten in the state of Chelsea, don't you think? I mean, do you think they can turn it around? Well, the first really decision that sort of, I think caught all of us sort of by surprise, well, surprise, but not such a surprise because Chelsea has been a firing club is the departure of Thomas Tuchel. We thought, look, I mean, it wasn't as if Chelsea were playing really badly consistently. It's just a slight bad run of form, but we understood that there were some issues behind the scenes with him and the owner, so they let go of him. And then the appointment then of Graham Potter, well, someone that hasn't really proven himself at the top tier, but he's been steadying the ship at Brighton. We thought, look, he brought Brighton to the highest level, but now Roberto De Serbi has sort of it up another notch uh, and since then unfortunately for them it hasn't worked but what Potter can say is perhaps look it's not my first full season these are not my players so now finally he's gotten the players that he wants they've spent big they've spent huge I think out of the top 10 uh, transfers in this transfer window they've at least got four or five out of the top 10 hasn't that Nicholas so um, what's going on I think this shows, I think what the owner wants to show is like, look, we've gotten rid of Thomas Tuchel because he probably wasn't aligned to our vision or our direction of the club. But now we're spending it big. We're giving full faith. And I hope they do give full faith to Graham Potter. Uh, I, again, I still have a bit of scepticism. I think if things don't change, you probably get, will get the boot at the end of the season. I hope not, but it, you know, Chelsea has proven themselves to be capable of doing those sort of things. But yeah, uh, what the owners are saying is, look, we've invested behind the club. We're putting support behind the manager. We need to get top four at least. So it's a, a interesting next few months for Chelsea. Have they set the game alight? Not yet. Again, uh, we saw the, the game when uh, Chelsea played Liverpool. It was a ball draw. And um, yeah, they need to change things around quickly. Uh, if they turn it around, they are 10 points out of the top four. And it would be a massive turnaround. I mean, great, you know, good luck to them, I suppose. Hey, uh, Nicholas, winners and losers of the first half of the season. I'm putting you on the spot here. You didn't have a chance to think about this one at all. What comes to your mind when you think winners, losers? 
winners for me as of this point um Brighton, Fulham, Brentford. For me, these are the three biggest winners. Of course, Newcastle as well. But for me, the work that uh, uh, Deserby has done with Brighton has been absolutely magnificent. You know, again, it's not so easy to just come into the Premier League where uh, in a team that has been performing so well and be expected to immediately produce the same sort of result. But credit to this man, you know, he's he's done such a great job, you know, coming from Shakhtar Donetsk, where he was forced to leave because of the whole Russian invasion. And, uh, you know, I think this job came at the perfect uh, time for him. You know, Graham Potter got the offer to Chelsea and he decided to leave and for uh, Z Derby to come in and, you know, implement his style of, of this uh, real uh, impactful, high-energy pressing um, and it has absolutely transformed Brighton into such a, a fantastic team. And bear in mind, they also lost a couple of uh, real uh, quality players over the last couple of seasons. Trossard has left, but before that, you had Yves Basuma, who had also left. Uh, Mark Cucurella, who left to Chelsea as well. So despite all these limitations, they performed so great. And, you know, they're just outside the top four. And then you look at Fulham, you know, who's managed by Marco Silva, you know, coming back. Uh, from the uh, championship last season and nobody expected them uh, to sit seventh after the midway stage of the season. Above but, you know, Chelsea. Above, above Chelsea, yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and they've been going great guns as well. You know, they've lost their last two matches, but the work that they've put in before this have really sort of kept them in that position. And they've got a pretty good lineup of players as well. You know, Alexander Mitrovic is a real quality striker that will get you the goals. But then you also have Daniel James, you know, on, on loan for Leeds. And I think he's been doing a great job as well. And Villian, you know, not to mention the former Chelsea and Arsenal star was forced to leave Corinthians because of the abuse that he and his family was getting uh, as a result of the performance uh, on the pitch, which the fan deemed, you know, not satisfactory. So, you know, he found a new lease of life in uh, Fulham and he's been pulling the strings in midfield uh, for them. And as a result, you know, they've been really benefiting uh, from his vision and uh, work rate. And Brentford, uh, do I need to say more? You know, you, you look at Brentford and Leeds, I'll just compare because they came up to the Premier League at the same time. But Thomas Frank has gotten the best out of his players while keeping the core of his players as well. You know, Brian Mbemo, Ivan Tony. you know, these, these are strikers. Even though they've, uh, like, for instance, Tony has not been uh, short of controversies. But, you know, on the pitch, he's been a real goal poacher. And, and they've upset a few teams, you know, to sit mm. in the top half of the table. So, for me, uh, Brighton, Fulham, Brentford, the biggest winners. Okay. And Asran, I'm going to finish with you, but very briefly, uh, losers of this first half? Oh, uh, I've got to say there's major trouble brewing in Mercy's side, uh, both both sides of the equation. I think uh, Liverpool, we need to get our game back on track or else it's going to be an absolutely horrible season. And for Everton, the problem with Everton is I don't know how they're going to avoid relegation at this point of time. Losing Anthony Gordon is another big blow. It's really, really troubled times for Everton because, again, Everton, the issue runs deep throughout the football club, not just on the playing pitch. I think even at every single level, they've got issues. So, yeah, yeah. that's it. If Everton fall out of the Premier League, I think that'd be the biggest relegation I've witnessed in my time. I think that beats Leeds, dare I say. Yeah, I think of recent times, we had Leeds and Newcastle, perhaps. So, Everton would be another big, big club going down. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, that uh, brings us to the end of this week's show. And I'd like to thank Nicholas Arnil. Thank you. Cheers, Cam. Uh, when the Malaysian uh, football season restarts, we'll we'll have a bit more discussion on that. And uh, Asran Rosin. 
looking forward to hopefully the start of our season. I've said this so many weeks already. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, and I don't listen to it anymore. It's it's nonsense. So <laughs> just, you know, get with reality, Azran. And uh, myself, Cam Raslan, thank you all. And join us next time for uh, Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. One way, Salah's the other. He's on an old Trafford hat trick here, Mo Salah. And he captures the moment. For more football, tune in Mondays and Fridays at 8 pm. Just for kicks on BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.